Welcome to the Next Brave Thing podcast. My name is Ella Hooper, and I believe that breakthrough is on the other side of bravery. This podcast features brave stories, emotional health, and creativity to inspire you to take your next brave step. Thank you so much, Glenn and Phyllis, for coming on my podcast. Um, it, I think we met for the first time in Evergreen. Was it two mm. years ago? Was it 2020? Uh, 2021. Yeah. Mm. Oh, 2021. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I remember um, because you came to Reading and everybody was posting about these connection codes people and yeah, <laughs> all these people were saying, this has revolutionized my marriage or this has revolutionized the way that I parent my kids. And I remember watching on social media different leaders talking about the way that they're engaging with their kids in a completely different way. And I was like, the world needs to hear this. So I'm so grateful to have you on. And it was such an honor to have breakfast with you that time and hear your story. Um, But I'd love to, yeah, our audience to hear who you are and just a bit about your story that led to creating Connection Codes. Yeah, Yeah, well, we always try to emphasize Uh, Number one, we're just pilgrims on the journey. We're just journeying, figuring this out as we go. But number two, we're so passionate about this because we're living it and we are mesmerized. We never thought this was possible. And of course, our story that we'll share, uh, we're just amazed that this Mm. is even a thing that is doable. Uh, But we found the cure for relational cancer, so we can't keep silent about Mm. it. Yeah. So going back to the beginning, we met uh, when we were in high school and uh, uh, dated and did all the things that we thought were setting us mm. up for a really strong marriage. Mm. And we had a list kind of, you know, we wanted good jobs. We even bought a house right before the wedding and had a great uh, community around us. We loved the church we were a part of. We were surrounded by that yeah. uh, community and just so much of our life was uh, both in the secular world, but also in ministry. Uh, and, and we were like, okay, we've, we've got it. Mm. And uh, we were very quickly, it, after the wedding, just in a really bad place. Mm. And we were so shocked at how quickly we could uh, hurt each other and how much pain and how, how it felt like the world was crashing down around us. And I think we were both just really uh, shell-shocked mm. and thinking this was not what we signed up for. This was not what we yeah. thought would happen. And we didn't know who to turn to, number one. We didn't know the tools that we needed. And, you know, Glenn was the researcher reader even back in those days and read every book he could. And we would apply, you know, things that we were reading but it wasn't getting to the heart of what was really happening. It wasn't at all getting to the core. And I would say we would do okay. We would be civil to each other. You know, we, we had that, but then we would explode and the pain would be so big. And we did that sadly for many years. And we always tell this story because it was, of course, in the moment, we didn't know how huge it was for us, but uh, at this point, we already had four children, and uh, for your listeners, just we are 40 years into our marriage, mm. so mm-hmm. we have been together for a long time, but mm. the pain 
started instantly and uh, we carried it for a very long time because we didn't know how to really tune into each other. And we couldn't, we were so different, which we are still to this day so different, but we were just missing each other with understanding what was really happening for each other. Now we just had no idea. Uh, And what I remember one of the books that I read, I won't bother saying the name of it because I don't want anybody to buy it. Um, But it just (laughs) talked about learning to avoid trigger topics. Well, the problem was we had 648 Mm. trigger topics. And so we literally, and kind of, and it's not that these were on a calendar events, but uh, we, second decade of our marriage, we basically learned how not to talk to each Mm. other because there were so many trigger topics. And so we actually looked like we had a good marriage because these other couples were fighting like cats and dogs and they would look at Phyllis and Glenn and go, well, they don't really fight. So compared to that, we looked like we had a good marriage and we let all the marriage classes, the marriage Mm -hmm. ministries, but all we had learned to do was to not connect to not even basically be involved with each other. And by then we had several children. So it was mostly just about the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. we're just devoting our time, our energy uh, to the children. So again, it looked like we were successful on the outside, but we didn't have a clue how to actually connect uh, with each other. Well, and it was interesting too, because during those early years, we read a lot of books that, for example, love languages. So we kind of figured out uh, and we took the best of that. And then we, you know, we did things like uh, just the temperaments and we kind of learned, oh, so we're different. Okay. But in all the things we did, I mean, even Enneagrams helped us understand ourselves better but it didn't change the yeah. conflicts that we yeah. would have. Yeah. It wasn't giving us solutions for the conflicts. Like mm-hmm. we did not know how to to navigate that. And yeah. uh, one of the, the stories that we often share happened over a dishwasher mm-hmm. where Glenn had unloaded the dishwasher and I said, babe, thanks for unloading the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, always, it only made sense for him to say, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. But that was not what he was uh, saying to me. You know, he would never never respond with uh, "You're welcome," and so we would so often have a disagreement after I would say "Thank you for mm. the un- unloading the dishwasher," because for him he would respond with uh, something like, "Well, that's not the only thing I've done today." And yeah. then it's I like it's the first time I've ever unloaded the dishwasher. <laughs> what we're missing is that I uh, live with one of the most productive people on the planet. She lives with one of the lesser productive people on the planet. I'm a lot of fun to have around, mm-hmm. uh, but I just struggle getting things done for a variety of reasons. I mean, Phyllis is perpetual motion, uh, which is amazing. She gets more done in an hour than most people do in a day. Uh, but so when she would say, thanks for loading the dishwasher, to me, it sounded like she was making a big deal uh, mm. out of a small thing. And when I would have the same trigger come up. I wow. think I'm like you. <laughs> yeah. I had to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But we did that kind of interaction literally thousands of times, not twice, not three times, not 10 times, literally thousands. And I would feel wounded about what she said. And it's important that we emphasize that Phyllis was not wrong to say thanks for unloading the dishwasher. And I wasn't really wrong to experience what I experienced. I wasn't trying to experience mm. that. I just felt wounded 
uh, by it. But I didn't have the words. I didn't have the tools. It was way, way pre-connection codes for us. I had no idea how to convey that to her. Mm-hmm. And so I would react from the insult. Again, I'm not blaming <clears throat> Phyllis for that, but I felt insulted. I felt demeaned uh, that she was making fun of the fact that, whoa, it's a miracle that Glenn did something mm-hmm. useful for a change. You know, call the internet, get some confetti, we'll have a party that Glenn did something uh, productive. Because uh, yeah. again, she could unload the dishwasher in about four minutes. It'd take me about an hour, literally, right. to unload the yeah. dishwasher. So, um, yeah. and we, neither, neither one of us had any idea that, that was what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking to a lot of like disconnection. And I think so many marriages, but any relationship, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. There can be this avoidance of the triggered topics and, um, yeah. And then everybody is walking around feeling lonely in the world because they don't know how to truly connect to people. So I love what you guys are doing, but, and I love you use that example of feeling disconnected. And then I'm sure if that stockpiles a lot where you miss each other over and over, it can cause a lot of pain. Do you have other examples of how disconnection showed up in your marriage? Well, it was so big, the turning point. Mm, you know, yeah. Well, just to kind of finish out. out that one story, because this particular time, I decided not to react in my normal way, which was either to roll my eyes, to leave the room, to just, you know, get quiet or to say something snarky back. I decided this time to get curious. And I said, what do you hear me say? And when Glenn actually shared with me what he heard Mm. me say, I was shocked. And then it was like this light bulb went off for me where I then realized, wow, no wonder you don't respond in a way that made sense to me, which would be to say you're welcome. And it kind of from that moment on led to me often asking the question, which now even in with the connection codes, we use the question what's happening because we often think it's all about the logistics, Mm. but it's not. It's what the other person is experiencing. It's what the other person is hearing. And, you know, so there was so much confusion for me because thank you sounded like an appropriate wording, but it's not about how I was saying it or what even Mm. I was saying. It was how he was receiving it and Mm. what he was hearing. And that was such a big turning point in our marriage, because then I learned that Mm. that question gave me the answer that I really needed to know. So it wasn't any longer about the logistic. It it was me being able to tune into him and say, what do you hear me say? And then also, Mm. what is happening for you? And that is what then started changing. And we weren't disconnecting or fighting over words or logistics. We were then able to start tuning into each other. And that has been, you know, such a big part of what we do now with the connection codes. Wow. So you just, it sounds like a bit of a, like a God moment of like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to respond the same way and get the same reaction. And I, because I think where I imagine there's so much self-protection in like, and scoreboards against each other of like all the times and all the instances. So how did you have the capacity inside you to hold space for Glenn? Because I think that that's, 
part of the, I'm sure there's areas where you didn't see, feel attuned to or all of that. So how did you have that? Well, I always say that I'm the educated one. Phyllis is the smart one. Um, I do all the theory and all the research, but she actually figures everything out. And I would say that every benchmark in our relationship on our journey has been something that she uh, figured out. Again, I do I read like crazy and I research, but just like that in that moment. And I, mm. I love to, to hear that because she was completely it was completely appropriate for her to roll her eyes and go oh you are so ridiculous so impossible to live with and walk out of the room mm-hmm. which she had done before and in that moment there was something within her that allowed her not to do that well i i think as far as just answering your question in that is i believed in marriage i believed mm-hmm. in us and when we were doing good we were doing really good and mm-hmm. so for me to to make space mm. for th- these types of situations yeah. was very much uh my heart and i and i think that um me understanding glenn which we had done so much work in the mm. early years of our marriage where you know i i learned a lot in who he was and who i was and you know it's interesting because we dated for four years and i didn't know any of these things mm. and he didn't know either you know it wasn't mm until many years after we were married that he understood that he deals with a very high level mm-hmm. of obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. and a lot of of other things where we didn't neither of us knew this mm-hmm. and so we didn't know how to function well in life and in mm-hmm. our marriage and mm-hmm. so i i developed a lot of compassion in just understanding our differences and you know, also when he would share with me uh, what he heard me say, and it, I just felt a lot of compassion, mm-hmm. like the fact that, okay, thank you is not kind words to him. Mm-hmm. He feels judged and he feels that he can never do enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm perpetual emotion. That's just who I am. Mm-hmm. And tasks are very easy for me. And mm-hmm. so it was a realization that he always felt less than and and just the everyday things and he was just struggling to uh provide a living for our family at that time you know it was like he was just trying to function in everyday life with the challenges that he had with being you know with the obsessive compulsive disorder so i think for me it was just um making space was what worked Mm. and i think as quickly as i saw the difference like for me it was like okay i'm sold if i can mm-hmm. tune in to him and make space for him we wow. we stay connected and we're not fighting yeah wow that's so good yeah and it's so important to emphasize that phyllis was in no way wrong for saying thank you for unloading the dishwasher or whatever you know mm-hmm. the, the situation was in the moment but glenn was not wrong to experience what he experienced i was not trying to feel shame. I was not trying to feel wounded by what she said. And my fear is a lot of times people think, well, Glenn should have changed that. Glenn should have stopped experiencing what he's experiencing. Okay, what are you going to do? Punch him in the face, you know, put a shock collar on him. Glenn wasn't trying to experience what he was experiencing. Now we actually have the tools where I can just convey that to her. And it stuns me that we process through that sort of thing in about 20 seconds. Now, whereas it used to be 
who knows what at three hours, three days, or three weeks. Yes. Uh, just yeah. Boom. And I think um, I I remember I don't know who it was said that a lot of people like religion because it's very black and white, whereas relationship is very gray and very you know. Um, yeah, like our faith is very, yeah, in that gray area and it's about connection. Um, and then I think a lot of couples or even in friendship, it happens or, you know, parent-child relationship, this is the right way of doing things and this is an accurate, you're crazy because you experience that. These are the logical things. Um and people want to stay in logic because they like to feel that form of control. And so I kind of like that you've created a formula, which feels very in control, but it's actually very, it's like parameters to navigating the gray space of relationship. So what kind of led you, because I imagine you, you're, you've done all this research, Glenn, and then you have an, an experience with Phyllis where it's like, oh, this is how you attune. And because I know there's research around attunement um so how did how did sort of connection codes start kicking off well the the birth of it was because uh, as far as our um discovering it was because of our pain i just could not believe and we're faith-based i believe that yes. god designed marriage what what a cruel joke uh, mm. I, and i spent years thinking what is the matter with god that he would mm. do this this is so right. awful uh, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Uh, and we, you know, didn't believe in officially divorcing. So I'm like, we're stuck in this for the next pick a number, 60 years. This yeah. is brutal. What would prompt God to do such an awful thing? Uh, just a practical joke right. or something that went awry. So I just, because 24 hours before I met our wedding, we were excited about half flavor after 48 hours after our wedding. We were like, what the heck just happened? And again, I'm thinking, well, we're 50, 60, 70 years signed up now, and this is already brutal. So yeah. I just couldn't believe that that was true. Again, with or without God, uh, <laughs> I thought this can't be as good as it gets. This, this can't be the best um, that, that it can be. Uh, so I was on a mission early on to figure this thing uh, out. And again, mm. it was a very slow development. But in the 2000s, Phyllis, uh, I was a contractor then, and Phyllis said, babe, as hard as you work, we should be rich, and we're not rich, mm -hmm. so you have to stop working, which I don't know a lot of men that can say my wife made me stop uh, working. And I think her courage and her power in doing that, she said, I'll take care of money, you go back to school and just figure some stuff out, figure out where you're headed, you know, whatever, vocation, career-wise, but also figure this out, figure out the marriage thing yes. that allowed me certainly the time to do the schooling, but also the time to start doing research. And initially we just started uh, and we were our own lab rats. You know, we were our own science experiment that we're just observing this science experiment uh, us. But then I just started observing interactions and mm. thinking, okay, let's start with a blank sheet of paper. Let's observe and figure out where those two moved away from each other, where they lost each other and initially seriously just blank sheet of paper going i'm just going to observe and i did that for two and a half years just watching wow. and just started notating and then i started seeing enough patterns i'm like okay hold on wait a minute uh for example one of those is we never ask why in relationships we never ask why in interactions 
And what the research showed was every time one person asks another person why, they they never connect. Now, when we eventually did three columns, disconnect, neutral, and connect. They wow. didn't always disconnect, but they never connected whenever one of them would ask why. So I'm th- and I remember coming home and Phyllis was running her business at the time. She's half listening to me because she's busy. But I'm like, babe, this is unbelievable. Seeing the data on this, are you kidding me? This is that simple. Just get people to stop asking each other why. That's a big win. And then the next two and a half years, we started feeding people uh, the, the information that we had gleaned and finding that it works. And, and one of those is instead of asking why, ask what happens be able to go, oh, wow, which is amazingly enough, the very thing that she asked me about the dishwasher scenario, she said, babe, what what happens for you? Just, you know, right there. And I was like, what do you mean? And then she goes, well, what do you hear me say? And that curiosity, and it opened up so much uh, for us. So we just start accumulating all this data, all this research, and start seeing that these things are pretty darn emphatic and you know every human is unique every uh human's experience is unique but there are certain things that they just kind of always play out that way Uh, and there are outliers you know each of us is an outlier in some area but across the board if uh people use the codes and that's what we started realizing is that they're actually codes inside of us who are hardwired uh this way then our research moved into emotion and realizing that humans connect uh, through emotion, humans disconnect through unprocessed emotion. And that opened up a huge world to realize, oh my gosh, mm. that's yeah. that's the solution is to get people to be able to convey their uh, core emotions. And again, not just emotions, but yes. there are actually just five regions of the brain that house the emotions from those uh, or within those are eight core emotions. And that simplified it so much. Eight, just eight. There's not 120. There's not 500. There's just eight. And every other emotion is either a level of or a hybrid of those core emotions. People can handle eight core emotions. They don't know what to do with 120 emotion. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a universal language. Everyone knows what fear is everyone on the planet people don't really know what you mean when you say i feel stressed i mean i know what the word stress means but i don't know what that means for you Uh, so you know we started realizing that if we can get people down to the eight core emotions they'll be able to connect yeah so just using that example of like someone feels stressed is it a matter of like drilling down to i feel scared or i feel shame or like how would you because I think a lot of people would be like, I feel stressed or I feel anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but they're not able to kind of drill down a little bit more. What would be inside the stress? You think? Well, so, so many emotion words are actually results. Stress is a result of unprocessed oh, emotion. Yes. We think that it's the actual emotion, but it's not. That's the result. Overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. Well, that's the result of unprocessed emotion. You know, I feel depressed. Well, that's the result of an unprocessed emotion. And so if we go backwards and figure out the cause, because we're typically dealing with the effect. And of course, in our culture, we're so Western medicine oriented. You know, someone says, I feel uh, depressed. So we give them an antidepressant and we're simply treating the symptom. I want to find that that should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end. And that's what we do all the time with people. We pathologize humans and somebody goes, oh, well, she's bipolar. 
Oh, yeah. that's the end of the conversation. I'm going, wait, 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 what? So what happens for her? Because bipolar is the result. That's the, the effect, not the cause. We need to find out what the cause is. But what we tend to do is we go, she's bipolar. Oh, well, let's get her on some medication. And then that, which the sad thing is the medications work. They also eat up your liver, which is a problem. Uh, but they do have an effect. When we drug people, it does have an effect. Yeah, but it's not solving the problem. It's not solving uh, the cause. And so we get people back. And again, we do that with the, we call it the three phrases. Ooh, what's happening? Uh, what am I missing? And somebody says, you know, I feel depressed. I'm literally instantly going to go, oh, wow. So, so what happens for you with that? What am I missing there? And then we'll get to the cause. We'll get to what actually happens for them, not the result, which is, again, depression, overwhelmed, uh, whatever's happening for them. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Because I think sometimes it's like a, a like people, if you ask, like, what do you need? People are like, I don't know what I need. But if you can start to articulate your emotions, um, I heard, I'm going to butcher the quote. I'll have to find the person who says it, but I know it's a, the quote is, um, the limit of your world is the limit of your language. So mm. it's like your world becomes limited when you don't fully know what's happening inside of you. But once you can get language for it, you can actually start to communicate it. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of us were ra raised, um, like for me, I grew up hearing like, Ella's just dramatic mm -hmm. or, um, or there being a dismiss, dismissing of emotions. Like if I got, you know, had something happen at school, like I remember a parent figure said, Ella, just, why don't you just go for a run at lunchtime? Like, like, instead of like going, Oh, I'm sorry. Like what happened? It was kind of like, well, you just got to get on with it. So I'd love to hear about like some of the pushback maybe around engaging with emotions or yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, well, it is, you know, part of our story, and Glenn even mentioned it, that all of this grew out of our own pain. Mm -hmm. And a, a, a lot of schooling, Glenn went all the way through and got his doctorate. And yes, through so much research, understanding our bodies, understanding mm -hmm. the brain, which houses emotion. And when Glenn was doing all the research and sharing with me all of this, I was just, my, my mind was blown because mm -hmm. I didn't do emotion. You know, yeah. that was always my thing. I don't do emotion. Glenn's got enough emotion for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that my brain houses emotion mm -hmm. like every other human on this planet and that it is a it is our guide. It's a, mm -hmm. it's like the center of our world that is telling us things and we're ignoring mm -hmm. it so much. And so it's like when you understand these things and that is what changes your parenting, too, because when you understand that, wow, this is what's happening, mm. then you're able to make space for it. So, yeah. uh, you know, when a child comes home from school and something has gone wrong, it's like you're tuning in. You want to create that connection. Mm. You want to be able to say, so what's happening with that? Mm. You get to hear what happened and then you aren't trying to fix it or downplay it or, you know, give the solution of just go out and t go for a run you're actually just sitting in that pain with your child mm -hmm. and then that child is able to release it from its body because it's felt heard it's felt seen and it's amazing how you're not reactivating and so 
what I love in the field of what we're even talking about today is that there has now been so much research mm. done. Yeah. Uh, we can hook people up to a brain scan. We can see that fear is firing, that anger is firing. Like no longer is this just p opinions. It's like, wow. And yeah. it's incredible to me to think, okay, God created us this way and it's a message center. So it's almost like his way of sending us text messages, right? And so if we're ignoring them all day long, mm. then we are missing out from the text messages that mm. God is sending us. And it's this, okay, so it's our guide, it's our messenger, we need to tune in. And, mm. you know, now, of course, there's so much with all these studies that link even things like our immune system gets Mm. compromised when we don't process our emotion when we just hold on to everything or so often i think because of our upbringing whether it's our parents or even in our our churches it's like we think we can set aside emotion or we can mm. choose emotion or we can dismiss emotion and it's like mm, it's our messengers they're our guides we're supposed to listen and that has been quite the challenge for many of us who weren't taught that and brought mm. up that way, because yep. like for me to tune in and go, oh, what is happening with me? I have to slow down and I have to really tune in because I'm that is new for me. And yet it has brought so much health mm. to my body and to our relationship of yeah. connection, because I always thought it was all about the logistics. Mm. And, you know, it's not just as you've already mentioned it. Ella, it's not just in marriage, it's any relationship, it's in your work environment. Right. If you're thinking it's all logistical, you're constantly missing each other. But yeah. when you can actually realize we're just a whole, we're all very different people hmm. and we need to find out what is actually happening to the people in yeah. our world, then we can actually stay connected and navigate through life. And it's actually very freeing because hmm. I think that we thought for so long, I know my job was to encourage Glenn. Mm. I really thought I'm just supposed to encourage, encourage, encourage. Well, he never felt heard because I was always telling him, it's fine. It's fine. You're good. You're good. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And he was not receiving encouragement from mm. that. Actually, he felt like mm. she won't ever listen to me. She doesn't validate what I'm experiencing. Mm. And so I was doing more harm than good. And it was exhausting because it there was, I didn't see any results, you yeah. know, it wasn't yeah. helping. Yeah. Wow. Because the essence of the human condition is meeting needs. Mm. Uh, that we, we live in a very complex society, but that's all we're trying to do is meet needs. Well, the communicator of the needs is the eight core emotions. They're tapping us on the shoulder. They're getting our attention to tune into ourselves, what's happening uh, for us. Well, the problem is we've been told for centuries, don't mm. experience emotion don't have emotions. And this is very real today. I mean, and we're faith-based uh, and we go to churches all the time that have sermons on, you know, you have been delivered from shame. You've been delivered from guilt. You've been delivered from fear. You've been delivered from pain. Not true. That doesn't make any sense. That's not, that's like telling somebody they've been delivered from the need for oxygen mm. that, you know, everything you have, everything you need is in God. So therefore you don't need oxygen anymore. That doesn't make sense. Nobody mm. believes that. Well, the same is true of the emotions. You inhale, you exhale, 
The same is true with emotion. You experience emotion, you process it through. That's what we're supposed to do. So that was part of our objective with the connection codes, which initially wasn't called the connection codes. We didn't know what the heck it was called. We're just observing human interactions and realizing we've got to figure out a way to help people, number one, tune into their emotion, and number two, Mm. convey it, uh, to Mm. process it. Uh, And again, I looked emotional, but I was clueless on what was happening for me and how to convey it. Phyllis was on the other end of the spectrum where she's like, nope, I don't do emotions, um, not for me. And so the connection goes help someone like her to recognize uh, what's Mm -hmm. happening for her, that she is a real human, that she is uh, Mm -hmm. experiencing emotion. It helps her to recognize it, identify it, and uh, convey it. And everybody needs that. The crazy thing is, Ella, we all did this well when we were 12 months old. When we're born, we are born coded, hardwired. We're faith-based. We believe God designed it. Even if it's evolutionary and there is no God, it's still the human condition. This is how humans are designed from birth. We're supposed to convey needs. uh, And then somewhere along the way, we get reprogrammed. We never get recoded, but we get reprogrammed so that we stop conveying authentically what's happening for us. Yeah. Wow. I love when you share um, the research around how it takes 19 seconds to actually process through an emotion. I'd love you to speak to that because that has, I literally have, the more I've learned how to process through emotions, I realize like, wow, it really is the road to, like I've had experiences where I'll be like, I'm driving to work and I'm really angry and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm really, really angry. I'm really, really angry. And I'm going to sit in the anger. And then I felt the emotion literally change into sadness. And then I realized like, oh, I'm really, really sad. And I like sat with the sadness. And then it was like, I could actually hear God and enlightenment came. Like I was this, it was this really powerful train as I just, because an old Ella would have been like, you've got to forgive that person or you've got to, okay, like, you know, I would have given myself a pep talk and tried to get away from feeling anger. And instead I just kind of leaned into it. So I would love you to just speak to like the research because I found it like, wow, I don't have to like stay in anger. It's like a vehicle when you just choose to like lean into it. <laughs> it takes you well- to and a, and a side note of that that's so sad is we have been commanding people to forgive and we've never mm-hmm. helped them process the emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're telling, saying people shouldn't forgive, but if they don't process through the emotion that is leading to this, this pain experience, this unforgiveness, now we're just commanding them to hold their breath endlessly. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't do that. At some point you have to exhale or, I mean, literally it would kill you. So you know, what the, what the research showed, and this came out, I don't know how, it's not too many years ago, maybe three or four years. First time I read that research, um, I remember sharing it with Phyllis and I laughed about it. I said, well, that's stupid. That's not true. I know people that have had emotions for days and weeks. So forget 19 seconds. Right. The research is replicated. Uh, and one of my life kind of philosophies, approaches is if somebody says something, I try to listen. If two people, two divergent people say it, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. If three people say it, I'm like, okay, I need to pay attention, tune in here. So it was replicated twice. So now there's three studies that have the same conclusion uh, at about 18, 19 seconds. So I thought, okay, I must be missing something. So then as we processed it through together, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is true. 
if I can say to Phyllis, I felt hurt by what you said, and she's able to not resist my energy, which re resisting the energy reactivates the emotion. If she's able to just go, oh, wait, babe, and it's the three phrases, what happened with the hurt? What did I miss? I'm like, well, you said that thing a few minutes ago, and I just felt some pain whenever you said it, uh, and it just felt kind of wounding uh, for me. And she goes, oh, okay, so what do you need? We call that the fourth phrase. She goes, what do you need? I'm like, I don't know, maybe if you didn't reference me that way, that'd probably help me. Could you do that? We're about 19 seconds in to the interaction. And because she didn't resist my energy and reactivate the emotion, it's processed through. Now, that does not mean it won't happen again in 20 minutes or an hour this afternoon or tomorrow. And if it does, we'll process it through in 20 seconds in as well. Well, and it's interesting, Ellie, because you were talking about being in the car and feeling anger. Mm. Often we resist our own energy. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. there's not even someone else in the car with you. And if you like, and the resisting of energy means you tell yourself, oh, I shouldn't feel angry. I should just forgive them. Or, oh, you know, try to like you, you're talking yourself out of or mm. trying to divert the anger. Well, that is resisting your own energy. And, mm -hmm. and I love the way you describe that. Like you leaned into it to find out what is mm -hmm. happening for me yeah. in that anger. And then it took you, I love the, the analogy of a train, yeah. like, and then it took you into sadness. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things we teach about emotion mm -hmm. is that there's secondary anger and primary anger. And often in, in relationship, it is secondary anger. And, yeah. but it, masks itself like we think of just anger mm. as anger we don't think mm. of you know primary and secondary but when you learn that you often go oh wow okay it feels like anger at first but then mm -hmm. when you slow yourself down and go okay what is really happening with me often it takes you to a place of sadness mm. or loneliness or hurt and then you're able to really get to the core of what it is for you and then you feel the lift i mean it, it's incredible when you feel the shift within yourself yeah you go wow i am it's like it is taking you somewhere mm -hmm. and then yes. you know when you've gotten there and and when you experience that in a 19 second mm -hmm. window that's pretty amazing mm -hmm. but if you resist your own energy by trying to tell yourself you shouldn't yeah then it actually reactivates it yes so, like the the example that glenn gave had to do with two people right mm -hmm. i said something that yeah. hurt him and he's telling me of his hurt and mm -hmm. if my response is oh honey i didn't mean that well that doesn't that sound like possibly a good response but actually that's resisting his energy which is his hurt and mm -hmm. it just it reactivates it then he feels hurt that I'm making excuses or yeah. hurt that I'm downplaying his hurt. Yeah. 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 We were amazed at the research on that because we started asking people. Uh, and again, initially we didn't have a clue. We're just observing and trying to, to glean what's happening. Uh, but when someone would go, no, 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 I didn't mean anything bad by that. I wasn't trying to say anything hurtful. And we would ask the other person, we'd go, what happens for you when she says that? And we were amazed, uh, not 100%, because there's virtually not 100% with human behavior, but how often people would say, well, if I understood it right, number one, I'm wrong to have felt hurt, and number two, I feel stupid. Yeah. So what's happening is 
I tell Phyllis I feel hurt. And she goes, what? No, don't feel hurt by that. Uh, I, I didn't mean anything bad by it. So what I received was Phyllis saying, babe, you're wrong and you're stupid. And that does not help <laughs> me any. And so we were amazed how often we heard people say that. If I'm getting the message right, Phyllis is telling me I'm wrong and I'm stupid. And that does not help our interaction mm -hmm. at all. And so again, we just, as we're navigating this, we're like, okay, let's just get people to follow the energy of the other in the interaction and they will actually get somewhere. Cause I'm not trying to feel hurt. I just do. Well, right. and, and in relationship, if that's the response I get in a friendship or in a marriage or in, from a boss at work, mm -hmm. if that, if that's their response, I learn pretty quickly to not, mm. not share that with them again. Nope. And, and it's like, then you, be, you become less and less authentic mm -hmm. and you, you keep it all inside, which is so unhealthy to our yeah. own body. Like, and, and yet you do it out of self-protection, right? Yeah. If, you, if you were in all these relationships where when you try to be authentic and say, Hey, that really hurt me when I, when you said that. And the response is, Oh, I didn't mean anything by that. You very quickly learn, I'm not going to tell that person mm -hmm. again, but I'm also don't feel safe with that person. So I'm not sure I'm going to really be that close to that person. Yeah. And yes. we, start, we build walls around ourselves to keep ourselves safe. And yet actually mm -hmm. we're doing incredible damage to ourselves yeah. because then we're just trying to hold it all in. Yeah. And I want our listeners to know, because our listeners have heard my story with Fabiano and you guys know Fab and, um, and my listeners can go back to listen to that episode, but he, um, was very honest about how he showed up in our school. And I want our audience to know that you, are you guys uh, what have really transformed our environment because we would have interactions where we would miss each other and then Fab would just start attuning to me or just being like, yeah, this is really painful. I'm so sorry. Like, and he wouldn't try and get defensive and like try and explain why something wasn't happening the way. And um, so I just want to honor you guys because you are the this is this stuff is so important inside work culture, not just and marriage culture and friendship. And um it's it's revolutionized our whole environment. I even have students because you guys came and spoke to our students and our students in their marriage, they literally do the wheel every night as they go to bed and they did it as housemates. And it's like I've seen transformation literally happen like in people's marriages within a year, you know, it's so, so powerful, but I'd love you to speak to, because when you talk about that disconnection, a lot of people feel really lonely in the world. Mm -hmm. They might be in a marriage and feel very alone, or they might be in a whole community and still feel lonely. Um, and yeah, I'd love to you just to speak to any words of encouragement or yeah, how to kind of yeah, work through loneliness. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I love that we're actually ending on this mm -hmm. because, man, even recently, uh, the uh, Surgeon General came out with the dangers of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just been a recent thing that he has talked about, which the research is not recent. It's old mm -hmm. of how damaging loneliness is. And yeah. we have, you know, in our societies, it's like, 
we do so many things to keep us from being really authentic with each other. Mm. And that is at the core of this loneliness is that I don't think I can show up and just be real and transparent because I'm going to be judged. Mm. And, you know, and that is such that that road alone, if you call the road of judgment is is really terrifying because uh, you feel like everything you're doing is under a microscope. But when you actually can create safety and friendships where you're going, okay, I can be authentic and you can be authentic and we can make space for that without judgment. It's like you can really live life together. And that is where that true friendship comes in. And we all need at least one person in our life mm. where we are safe, where we can be authentic and where, where we know I can show up and say, and that's, you know, you reference the core emotion wheel, which actually is an incredible tool that we came up with partially because I needed a super simple tool to learn how to tune into my brain because I had resisted it for 50 years of my life. And I was shocked to find out that I had emotions in my brain and that they were messengers. And so I was like, okay, I don't even know how to listen to myself. I don't know how to tune mm. in. I don't know how to find the emotion. I don't know what it mm. looks like, what it feels like. And so this tool is a way in really two minutes per person. So it's a very quick tool mm. to use with a friend or with a spouse to uh, be able to get authentic mm. and to really show up for ourselves and for the other to go to tune in. And then we teach the tools of how to respond. You know, it's like how to make space for other people's experience and not have to try to fix everybody. Mm -hmm. It's so freeing to not have to fix and to be able to actually just make space for how different we are. And that is when that deep loneliness starts to shift. But you know, there are times and that goes back to the importance of every time you feel lonely, you need to say that mm. you need to say it mm. out loud even if you're by yourself say it mm. out loud to yeah. re release it from your body so that you can say i feel really lonely today mm. and you know we can be in a crowd of a thousand people and feel lonely so the it's not always just oh go be with somebody that doesn't always just cure that right. but it's more it's it's so important that we express right. that yeah. And to be able yeah. to say, I feel lonely yeah. is so yeah. huge and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I love that you shared that. That's yeah. so awesome. I, um, yeah, for people listening, you guys have so many resources mm -hmm. um, and courses and a book to actually learn this. But I think even starting, because I have clients, I coach people and they are on this like journey of learning their emotions and becoming wholehearted and then their community around them or in their marriage, like people aren't on the same page. And so I encourage anyone listening to just find these resources and start sharing with your friends and open the conversation to it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I think in closing, I it'd be good to know, I think there is this fear sometimes with letting someone process their emotions. And this is something I've had to discover of like when someone's um, constantly like they go into a spiral and you ask the question, what's going on inside you? 
Um, and they're, they go into like a victim space. I think that's why people are afraid of emotions is because of the, someone's doing self-pity or victim stuff. Um, yeah. What would you say to that? Like in, yeah. Cause I think the fear of like sitting with people's emotions is that you're going to become responsible or like, they're going to. I don't know if we validate their emotions. Are they, does that mean that I'm wrong or yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, because it's basically the opposite. Mm -hmm. Uh, These emotions are real. They're true uh, and they are happening. And we can tell people all day, every day to stop it. You know, Ella just stop, stop experiencing that. You stop it and you shut up about it. Uh, And even if we don't say it with those words, you know, conveying that. So, yeah. That doesn't change anything. All it does is gets Ella to stop turning to me because she yes. for her. But you know, with the dishwasher story, I felt shame when Phyllis said, "Thanks for unloading mm-hmm. the dishwasher." You can yell at me all day long and tell me to stop feeling shame. Well, I'm not trying to feel shame. Mm-hmm. Emotions happen to you. Uh, we don't sign up or volunteer, and we faith-based people for a very long time have done this so poorly that we tell people to stop experiencing what they're experiencing. Uh, and and then they do they stop well they don't stop experiencing it they just stop talking about it and so we think we did a good job and I did this many many thousands of times with people where you know they would share something authentic with me I would throw a Bible verse at them pray over them walk away thinking boy did you see that I nailed that I you know I just I helped Ella so much I'm I'm you know such an incredible encourager and then what I noticed was Ella never struggled with that again no she never shared it with me again. And she mm-hmm. may not have never shared it with anybody. And so I, I am certain that I shut many people down, at least semi-permanently, yeah. thinking that I was doing the good and right thing. But in reality, I was making it worse for them. Yeah. You know, specifically to people that where we think, oh, man, they are they have that victim mentality. You can kind of see them coming across the room and you kind of know, oh, man, here, here comes Johnny. And he's just going to be in that same, you know, woe is me. <clears throat> but what we have found is that often those people don't feel heard. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're not helping them get to the core yeah. of what's happening for them. Mm. Yeah. And so the damage in that is that the very thing we want to help them through, we are just reactivating for them. Mm. And if we could just use these simple tools, it's such a beautiful thing when you actually see a Johnny coming across the room and you use the terminology when he gets to you, Hey, Johnny, what's happening for you? And, and if he goes on to logistics for you to be able to quickly get him back, yeah, yeah. But what's happening with that, Johnny? And obviously you have to teach them the tools of the emotion, but a lot of times people get it, even if they don't know all eight emotions, if you can get them to slow down, and ask, keep asking that question, they'll actually say, well, I'm actually feeling a lot of fear that when I go on that interview tomorrow, they're not going to hire me. And then they have a shift. You see an actual shift in their body because they finally got to the core for themselves. And before that, they were just talking logistics. Oh, I'm never hired about. I'm not even going to try to get a job Mm. because nobody ever hires me. And they go on and on. Mm. And you're sitting there. The pain of that you're experiencing like, oh, Johnny, 
<clears throat> but it gets back to if you slow them down, mm -hmm. get them to tune into themselves and get them to express at the core what's happening for them, which may be fear, maybe shame, maybe guilt. Something breaks within mm. them. And often wow. you see a shift and it's beautiful. And then the more you experience that, the more you believe yeah. in these tools and you yeah. start to realize, oh my word, this actually really yeah. works. And you start seeing breakthroughs mm. with people, transformations with people. And you're just like, oh my goodness this is so so powerful yeah and when you realize it's just a human condition because you think about it a, a 12 month old starts crying we don't mm -hmm. walk in the room and go i am not going to cater to your emotions right. uh, you just need to stop it you need to stop feeling sadness how absurd that would be well there's no birthday where that changes uh, congratulations ellen now you're eight now we want you to stop experiencing what you're experiencing and we want you to shut up about it no not not 10 12 15 18 whatever so there's that again it's just a human uh, coding now my parents and i'm not mad at them i think they were doing the best they knew how my parents would actually say to me you stop your crying or i'll give you something to cry about and uh, i can remember as a kid and you know i was probably five six seven years old even then thinking i'm not crying as a hobby I already right. have a reason for crying. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I don't need you to spank me and give me a reason uh, to cry. And I never yeah. said that to them. I wouldn't be here today. But yeah. I, I was crying because of something already. And mm -hmm. they didn't know, they didn't have the tools to tune into me and go, buddy, what's happening yeah. uh, here? And so they early on worked really hard to train me to stop experiencing what I was experiencing, to shut up about it. And I did. I learned how to do that because I was going to get spanked if I didn't. Right. And so, of course, the sad, sad thing is by the time I meet this woman, uh, even though I looked great, I was gregarious and uh, wasn't the life of the party. I was the party. I was yeah. fun, but I had no idea how to be authentic. And yes. she didn't know that. Uh, she's just looking at me. And I was actually cute back then. She's just looking at me going, oh, my gosh, he's so great. And she did not know that I was completely inauthentic and not conveying anything of what was happening. For me, which of course runs through the dishwasher story. I was not conveying what was happening for me. I was just barking at her, going, you know, well, it's not like that's the only thing I've done today. I don't know why you have to be such a, you know, so rude, such a jerk about it. And of course, Phyllis going, what the heck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> all she said was thanks for unloading the dishwasher. She thought that was a good thing, and it would start this horrible uh, cyclone. Uh, yes, yes, and I, I think. Well, I've even heard in um, research that they're called relational circuits is when you feel connected, but when you feel disconnected, it's your um, relational circuits are off. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, in relationships, we can go around the same mountain over and over. And what I love about your course and your work is it teaches people to get off that merry-go-round of like going around the same thing over and over and connection really is so there, there's a lot of pain and hard things that happen in our life but connection is the thing that really does heal us and mm. just makes a life fulfilling so i really just love the work that you're doing and i'm so honored that you came on the podcast today mm -hmm. and the podcast is called the next brave thing what what is it that in relationship what does bravery look like? I mean, we've kind of talked about it, but 
yeah, what are your thoughts on bravery in connection to the connection codes? I sat, I had an intake session yesterday with a couple, uh, I think they've married 23 years and, uh, we start talking and I have them do the wheel for the first time in their life. And uh, she went first and I think she shared either two or three emotions and she looked up at me and was just dripping tears. And she said, this is really, really difficult. Mm. And I said, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't resist her energy. I just was proud. I said, yeah, I get that. And then he did the core emotion wheel and he wept and he's a big uh, farmer guy. I mean, he's a massive guy and he's just puddled. Uh, it was so beautiful. And, um, he said, I, I've never done anything like this before. And I just commended him for his tears. I said, dude, I'm honored that you would shed tears. I said, I'm a total stranger to you and another man. Uh, And he shared actually the same thing. He said that when he was a kid, his uh, dad would say to him, you stop your crying. I'll give you something to cry about. And um, so he had just never done that before. And I commended both of them. I said, it's incredibly brave. Takes so much courage. Again, I'm really, I mean, I know it's my vocation, but I'm a total stranger and they are sharing absolutely raw at the core, uh, sitting with me. And it was incredibly brave. And that's our goal is to get people back to their authentic self. That's awesome. You know, Ella, for your listeners, we did put together a, um, a special page. So if they go to connectioncodes.co forward slash next. Mm-hmm. Then they can get the core motion wheel, which we've mentioned today, mm-hmm. and a short video of us teaching how to use the core motion wheel and the instructions written out. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and also, we want to offer 20% off of any of our master classes to your audience. And if they just mm-hmm. type in under code next 20, then they will get 20% yeah, two off. zero, not the word 20, but next yeah. two zero. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. That's amazing. We'll make sure we have those links in the show notes of the episode. Yeah. And yes, thank you so much. It's so generous. It's life-changing course. Mm. Um, Glenn, do you still take people, clients on? Do you, So you take on clients, which that's amazing. So you can actually, because I think what you do and correct me if I'm wrong is like, you'll meet with people, but you really give them the formula so that they know how to do it and don't need you all the time, which yeah, is. That was, that was part of our objective was to design something that was not clinician oriented. I don't want people coming to see me for three years. Right. Uh, I want the, and we actually set up a 90 day plan uh, where yeah. we're getting them through the masterclass. Um, and I'm just serving as a coach to get them good at this because all of us have been walking sideways emotionally so long, we don't know how to walk forwards. Right. And so it's muscle memory. We automatically stand up out of a chair and we start walking sideways. And so I'm just coaching them, reactivating the muscle, their emotional muscle, so that they're mm. able to present authentically, able to present uh, straightforward. And that's what my private practice has become now. Yeah, and we Zoom with people all over the world. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Thank you <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah, the connection codes are in over 50 nations now, so it kind of blows our minds that this is That's happening. Awesome. Very mm-hmm. exciting. Wow. Well, guys, it works. It's mm-hmm. very powerful, and I'm so grateful for you guys coming on the podcast. And uh, for those listening, they'll have to go check out those amazing resources and change their lives by it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having us. We love yes. doing podcasts. Love it. 
Thanks for listening today. Please download, share with your friends and write a review. If you would like to book in a life coaching session with me, go to my website at www.ella-hooper.com or follow me on Instagram at Next Brave Thing Podcast.